Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Hello, folks. How are you? Merry Christmas. This is my podcast, Ray's Green Room. My name's Ray. This is my green room. You've arrived. And today we have a special guest, Miss Emily Corbeau. She's an actress, singer, and artist based in San Francisco. Is that okay to say actress anymore? I'm not sure. I know 10 or 15 years ago you didn't utter the word actress. You had to say actor or female actor. I'm confused. Well, she does acting. She is a commercial actor by day and theatrical by night. You can find her running to an audition or a rehearsal throughout the Bay Area pretty much any day of the week. When she's running to her next audition, she spends her time playing music, teaching figurative drawing, and scouring her local library for plays and books. You know what? That's enough about Emily's background. You want to hear her talk because she is one interesting and smart young woman. So without further ado, here is Emily Corbeau. Oh, there's a vacuum cleaner again. Oh, it stopped. Okay. All right. It's just everything's working in our favor today, clearly. Yes, I am here with who? Emily Corbeau. Emily Corbeau, yes. I do know your name. We had the same agent. That's true, yes. But she retired. She's retiring and leaving us to fend fend for ourselves. Yeah, and she called you. I mean, I've known her for 30 years. Yeah, and I've known her for six months. And she just sends me a letter, Dear John letter. She calls you on the phone. Yeah, the Dear John letter. That's what it felt like. I felt like I was truly getting dumped by a post-it note or something like that. You were. (laughs) (laughs) You were. uh, But Mary's... Very, she's not like your typical agent. I hear the vacuum cleaner again. It's so loud now. So this is a, a feature of the podcast now is a vacuum cleaner in the background. I hope you all enjoy it. <laughs> it's something I've been working on for a while. It adds sort of a homey ambiance to the podcast. And I want it to be real. Of course. Because I hate all those overproduced podcasts that sound really good. Yeah, they sound like somebody spent eight hours editing them and had a sound studio that cost them millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. And I have this microphone that that we have a strange setup. I can't even explain. It's sort of an <laughs> octopus kind of thing. And, uh, well, it's just beyond explanation. Defying gravity. And I just have to say it's defying gravity. And Emily Corbo, my guest... Has been incredibly patient with me. She probably wants to kill me, but that's okay. She would never say that. No, we'll save the theatrics for the stage. Okay. Um, so we, uh, we were in a reading together yes. of a play. A last minute reading that I was thrown into. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God. You were <laughs> fantastic. You were. You were like. You were like my what? My assistant. I think something? so. Yeah. I think I played your. Uh, masseuse and oh which, yes which sounds strange but I think within the context I was mostly just a personal assistant because there was no masseusing going on no that never even happened it right. was more so that she was there as almost a spiritual guide for you she believed that because yeah. your character was so rotten to the core really I thought that was where she yeah. was coming from she could possibly save you and in doing so the the people whose lives but you did you ruined. I didn't. No. Yeah, you really didn't do anything. I really didn't. <laughs> I it think was about more me, but it was about the other guy and my my brother. It was about your mostly. brother. Yeah. 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 Who was the 
No, I was the gun guy. I don't even remember. Was I, I know, the gun it's all, guy? It's all slowly I coming back in pieces, but... But there was like an implication that you were more than like the masseuse and stuff, but then it never went anywhere. Yeah, it never went anywhere. There was the possibility for some kind of romance, but I thought it was interesting that more than anything, she became a friend to your brother. That's right. Um, And... God, I can't even remember her true function within the play. I thought it was a good play, though. Yeah, it was. I know. I love how we can't remember majority of it. Yeah. Yet we both agreed by the end of it that it is quite a well-written play. I don't remember what it was about. (laughs) There's a lot of uh, gun Gun, control. Gun control. That's right. And also just the, um, I I thought there was a really nice dynamic between siblings and the way in which we kind of play off of our siblings where we go to extremes, whereas one sibling is the bad sibling or the black sheep. Yeah. You kind of start to really embody that because you get um, your parents kind of force on this image of you are this binary. I don't know. It doesn't make sense much, but yeah. Yeah. And then it got all mystical at the end. It got very mystical because my character was a very spiritual woman who believed that, she could kind of fix these, you know, bad seeds of society. Yeah, so there were spirits and things. There were spirits and things, and <laughs> she was a palm reader. It was a very colorful play. I what think was the, gonna... What's the Shakespeare play where that happens at the end all of a sudden? Oh, I can't remember. It has the ghosts at the end, and then... Uh, it's slipping my mind. Anyway, I saw that play that I can't remember the name of in the Old Vic, and it was... Uh, in London. It was kind of like that. I think Kevin Spacey was the artistic director at the time. Oh, goodness. <laughs> he was. He was. Oh, yes. Kevin Spacey again. We won't talk about him this time. What What is your What is your uh, background? My background yeah. is I recently made a deep dive in a return to theater, oh, uh, specifically within the Bay Area. I graduated from SFSU recently with a degree in art history and studio practice. And mm-hmm. midway through my senior year, I was working at SFMOMA and I had wanted to get back into acting. I had done it throughout my childhood and whatnot. And I asked a friend who was pretty involved with film in the area. And she said that I need a um, a gal to audition for this pilot, my friend shooting. So kind of on a whim, I sent in something. I wound up getting the part. And after that whirlwind <laughs> mess of a weekend of filming that pilot, yeah. I realized that that was exactly what I needed to be doing. And from there, kind of... Dived in, honestly, heels overhead into theater and Mm. trying to figure out the Bay Area theater scene and kind of have not gone back since. It was like discovering a limb that I forgot to use for the past six years. Right. Because you were doing artistic (laughs) things. I was doing artistic things. I was um, working at SF Momer just as a visitor's assistant. I was an intern at a art gallery and was going to be an art consultant right after I graduated. That was the path. And it took a complete 180. And then you were making something. Yeah. Yeah. I was trained as a weaver on jack looms. And so a lot of my artwork had to do with... Um, weaving primarily and a lot of printmaking. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting though, because for those who knew me at my core, it was no surprise when I started to do acting more so full-time. And because all of my artwork, the reason I enjoyed it so much was the collaborative nature of it. And acting has always fed that side of me and being able to collaborate with multiple people all at once to create 
one singular project with all these different voices between directors or on mm. film and set designers. Yeah. I just love the collaborative process that yeah. theater brings about. Yeah, it's good when you're in a project where people want to collaborate. Yes. Yes. Sometimes there are directors I, who refuse to allow collaboration. Yes, there is, of course, that too many cooks in the kitchen situation. <laughs> yeah, that's true, which too. Which <laughs> is a frequent run-in, I think, for everyone. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's why the, the director has to be able to step in and know when it's getting to be too much. They do. That just takes experience. That takes experience, yes. Yeah, so I've kind of been it. cobbling together more of a theater mm -hmm. education recently by Good. getting lucky enough to be booked in shows and film. What was the last show you did? The last show I did, it's a fantastic question. Oh, I did a stage reading that was more of a workshop production because there was blocking and a dance Before and Shooting Star? Uh, before Shooting uh -huh. Star. Okay. And it was called The Moby Dick Diaries by a newer playwright in Berkeley. Mm -hmm. And she normally did the show as a one-woman show. And oh. she wanted to make it into a full-blown oh. production, full-blown stage production. And I got to play a character called Lee West, a 16-year-old gal from who grew up in Porterville, which is kind of like a Bakersfield kind of area, if that can give you yeah. a sense of the Is area, it a real place? The very, yeah, it's a real uh, place. It's okay. where the playwright grew up. And it is about her journey from this very conservative, traditional area um, into, you know, the the outside world of learning there's more for her artistically, creatively, and as an individual outside the confines of her very conservative traditional world. So it's a wonderful coming of age story. She gets obsessed reading the Moby, uh, Moby Dick and creates a modern dance. And it just really captures the, uh, the feelings of being 16 yeah. and wanting a life that's different from the one that your parents lived. Yes. Was it a comedy? Or? It was a comedy to oh, the highest good. degree. Yeah. And it was very refreshing because I have a habit of being cast in the desperate, dramatic, <laughs> can you cry on camera roles, <laughs> which yeah. are wonderful and fun. Yeah. But I found that there is uh, a lack of comedic characters recently within just the plays that have been put on within the Bay Area and the student films that I find myself in. Yeah, things to get tend to get very serious. They get very serious, yeah. very quickly, mm -hmm. which I've always been a fan of. I mean, mm -hmm. one of my all time favorite playwrights is Sarah Kane, so I love a flair for the dramatic. But I found that recently I've been more drawn to comedic things. I just saw a very funny, well, absurd sort of play called The Millionth Production of a Christmas Carol. <laughs> Uh, which was hilarious. Made. Oh my goodness. And then all of a sudden it became, there were moments where it became extremely dra dramatic and then it became extremely farcically hilarious again. And it was, I loved it. I've always but been some of the of audience was like, they didn't know how to deal with I it. I mean, I'm the person who prefers Shakespeare's problem plays over mm -hmm. his, you know, perfect, um, yeah. perfectly crafted plays. So I love that dichotomy between the deeply tragic and the spit out your coffee funny moments yeah, exactly it's very indicative of life i'm the person who loves to <laughs> laugh about trauma because that's how we survive through it so me too <laughs> <laughs> me too some people don't though you some gotta... people don't yeah you have to be i i've found myself saying things in times where you expect people to laugh and then they come up with an, are you okay? Like, I was looking you know? at the screen to make, just to make sure it was working. 
I'm fine. Working? Yeah, it's working. Good. I just don't want us to be talking for no reason. <laughs> it's always a reason. <laughs> that's my that's my favorite mode of being talking for no reason. I think. Yeah, problem plays like much ado. Like much ado, Winter's mm-hmm. Tale. Yeah, Winter's but, Tale was win- the one I was trying to think of Winter's before. Tale? At the end, they have all yeah. the spirits and Me- stuff for no reason. Oh, is that the one you were thinking? Yeah, of? yeah, yeah. And Measure for Measure. Measure favorite. for Measure. I love that. Personal favorite. Yeah. I love As You Like It. As You Like It as well. Also one of my favorite Fantastic plays. Fantastic female characters. Yeah. Oh my God, Rosalind. Mm-hmm. You should play Rosalind. I know, Rosalind is one of the dreams. Yeah, true. Ah, you got to do that. Yeah. And then we have to find you, uh, what's his name? And uh, what's his name? The, the other, the guy opposite. The her. guy, I know. <laughs> I uh, oh geez, they're I can't all, remember anything They're today. all kind of named the same. <laughs> yeah. I'll think of it in another <laughs> 10 minutes. Yes. When we're done. Yeah, and then we we went and saw on the spur Hamlet. of a moment. Yeah, it was Hamlet. the spur of a moment, and we had quite the difficult time getting there. We almost didn't make it. Yeah. Wow. But you thought you were like <laughs> we're driving. I have I have a habit of oh I feel like I'm always running to the next thing. Like I am the crazy girl running through Union Square to get to her next audition. <sighs> And so I tend to I tend to run everywhere I go, and I believe that I made you run to the show as well. well. You did, and uh, <laughs> the, the fact of the matter is that if you hadn't been there, we would not have made it to the show because we planned on driving. I was supposed to turn right one block before, yeah, and I missed it. And if anybody knows the downtown area of San Francisco, if you don't turn down whatever street it is, whatever and you don't Cyril Magnon. You're never turning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you don't turn down right on Cyril Magnon, I think, then forget about it. You're stuck for 20 minutes before you even get to Market Street, which is about 100 feet away. I'm not kidding. <laughs> and and <laughs> so we parked. Yeah, we parked. We, in a parking we got lot. A, We got out of a parking garage, attempted to drive, yeah. got back into a parking garage. Another one. Ran, and then just scrapped everything, ran to Bart, to and Bart. remarkably made it on time. Yeah, it was like five minutes to spare. Five minutes to spare. Yeah. It, it was, was great. A, it was a miracle. What a fantastic production. And it was a, worth it because yes. uh, it was Hamlet in a tiny little theater uh, put on by the Arabian Shakespeare Festival. And uh, God, what was there, 20 seats? Something like 20 that? 20 seats 20, or 30 like seats. That? And it's just, it was a black box. There were three curtains and a little bit of scenery and uh, great acting. One of the most fantastic ensemble performances I think I have yeah. ever witnessed. Yeah. The thing I loved about it the most, I mean, Hamill's just a great play and it's true for every play they ever put on this company called Arabian Shakespeare Festival. You can Google it and you should go to all their shows. A lot of times you'll go to a Shakespeare play and the director will have a concept especially in the United States, I've noticed. And whether or not you understand what's going on, they seem not to care mm. often. And unless you know the play, you might be totally lost. Yes. Because they wanted to do it, uh, you know, in the Old West or as spacemen on the moon or Valley something. Girls. Valley Girls. <laughs> yeah. And that's what takes precedence. But uh, Arabian Shakespeare Festival, you don't have to even know the play or Shakespeare, or anything, and you won't be lost. Yes. Because the actors act out the play. They know what they're talking they about the all story. the time. They tell mm-hmm. the story. And you know the story, even if you don't get every single word. And you're you're never at a loss for uh, keeping up with the plot or wondering who's who and what relationship they have with others. 
I always think one of the greatest ways to, uh, for me personally, when I see Shakespeare is what is the level of accessibility if you have not ever read Shakespeare, if you have not seen a Shakespeare play, are you going to be able to follow along? Are you going to be able to know what's happening? Mm -hmm. And I always felt as if the entire time through the production, I could bring anyone here and they would know exactly what was going on. And not only that, it was just um, very well done. Like you say, it was one of the best ensemble performances. And it's always like that when I go there. And they're a small company. A friend of mine started it, Will Brown, about five years ago. I, I believe he went to Kuwait because his father is some kind of diplomat. And he taught Kuwaiti women how to act Shakespeare. And I've seen these pictures. Have you seen, did you see the pictures? I did not see the pictures, no. So they're all dressed in their Arab, uh, Muslim gear or whatever <laughs> they call it. Gear. The beekeeping suits. I don't know what the you call it. The beekeeping suits. Was that? My God. <laughs> this is terrible. But they, they, were, they did Shakespeare in their beekeeping outfits. <laughs> oh, God, how non-politically correct I am. Oh, well. What can I say? What can I say? So what do you have? Anything coming up? Um, I have on on the ticket, we have a uh, workshop production of a show, a new play called The Birthday Lottery, written by Richard Fouts. And it is actually being directed. Are you by, in it? I'm in it. Yes. Oh, because I just I just did a podcast with Susan. We exactly. talked about it. The, so oh, that's how good. Susan, who uh, was the director of the stage reading where we met. Oh, her name is actually Susan. Oh, is it Susan? I don't. Is it? No, it's Suze. Suze. I never I think. knew. I, well, hmm. she calls herself Suze. She, let's go Suze because that's how she calls yeah. herself. I would just remember Susical the musical. <laughs> <laughs> Are you oh, getting? Are you goodness. getting some important? Uh, I, like you have an audition? Or I actually, I think I just heard back from an agency. I just responded look at that. To. Look at that. See, I'm actually with Emily here. Is like a fashion model. <laughs> and, I don't know if I'd go uh, that far. Young and beautiful, and so everybody wants her. So uh, to be in print and uh, yes, I have TV. The, I have the benefit of being stereotypically pretty and young <laughs> and. That'll get you into the door for most agencies. Yes, the new production. So Suze was, that's how we originally met, was through that audition and eventually through me being cast in this production of The Birthday Lottery. And that's when she called me two days before the staged reading because she had, the original actress she hired had dropped out. And so this production, The Birthday Lottery, is about the Vietnam draft, and it's about the night in which the birthdays were read off, and so you would get your number of Mm -hmm. how high were you on the ticket of getting drafted. And it takes place within a frat house, Mm -hmm. and it is myself and four other guys, all in college and filled with, you know, all the familiar storylines of I have an old romance with my brother's best friend who's being shipped off number one on the draft list. Um, But what makes this play, I think, so interesting is that the stakes remain so incredibly high Mm -hmm. the entire play. So there's a lot to work with as an actor in that you're kind of always on edge. And there's so many little, um, so many little stories that happen within this greater story of all these men being shipped off to die. (laughs) This is amazing because I just talked to Suze about this on the last episode and now you're talking about it from a different point of view. All the marketing for the birthday lottery. (laughs) Yeah. Come and see the birthday lottery. Come and see the birthday lottery. Uh, I put the notes in the last podcast. I don't remember the dates now. Uh, The dates are, I believe, the the last week. There's four productions and it's the last weekend of March. Okay. 
Um, But it's been really exciting to work with the playwright because Mm -hmm. he's very actively involved (laughs) within within the casting and just within the vision of the play. It's his his child, of course. Yeah, that's what she said. Um, He's not skimping at all. He's very much into it. He is very, very attentive. And it's been wonderful for me because I've been in contact with him a lot about the character. And he's even added in an old monologue that he kind of threw to the wayside, but has crafted again back into the play. And it's just so wonderful to build a character with the playwright. And Mm. I love working with new playwrights because you get to be the person to bring the inside of their head to life. Yeah, you're the first one. It's a magical thing to experience for both playwright and actor. So I have one more question for you. Do you have any, do you have a long-term goal as an actor? What is it? What is it? I want to hear. I would just love to be able to work full-time as an actor in whatever means that is. I want to do film. Mm -hmm. I do see myself eventually moving to LA. I kind of have a three-year plan to get all my SAG points. Moving to LA is a whole nother story because then I have to actually enjoy LA and that's not really (laughs) something I've ever experienced. I guess not. (laughs) Um, But I guess, I mean, the long-term goals is that I would, you know, eventually want to be an equity actor. Um, I have production companies I want to work with, but it really comes down to being able to somehow support myself yeah you got to get out of here if you want to make a living as an actor exactly either have to be in new york or on tour yes or in la i'm getting my training wheels here because i've recently you know made a very big jump back into theater and so it's all very fresh and new learning Mm -hmm. um the ins and outs of it and the bay area is a fantastic place for me to work because i don't have the experience or resume that people in new york and la have i can garner all that experience here Mm -hmm. so that when i do make the move i am on equal footing with the you know hundreds of other people yeah i could see you easily getting into equity here Mm -hmm. And then you could get your SAG card and then move. Yes, exactly. Because then you can get a real agent and all that exactly. stuff. Exactly. So yeah. that's the plan. I mean, yeah. I, I really love doing both film and theater. And I'm lucky enough to really say yes to a lot of opportunities because I have jobs in which I can schedule myself. And so I can always make it to auditions and whatnot. So the long-term goal is to truly just be able to support myself as an actor. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a good goal because some people want to be stars and that's a bad goal because a lot of that just has to do oftentimes with who you know or if you have yes, family in the industry. Of course. And- Almost every star you know has some family member who's in production mm-hmm. or is a producer yes. or a casting and- director. There are very, very few stars who don't have that behind them. In of their course, background. yeah. I think I also have noticed just within the the past six months of when I've really made it, you know, my number one priority is that uh, I find myself being more interested in writing and find myself writing my own things and watching directors and mm-hmm. the way they work. And I see myself eventually getting either behind the camera or behind the actors on a stage to create my own productions eventually and return to school to do something more along the lines of uh, writing as well as directing. That really has piqued my interest recently. Great. So you want to write uh, plays or movie scripts or plays primarily Mm -hmm. interest me the the most right now. Um, 
just because I devour <laughs> plays, yeah. I think, more than anything. And screenwriting is a little more daunting because mm. it's, I don't know what it is. It's just more daunting to me than, it's than also writing a, business. a play. It's a business yeah. as well. It's cutthroat. I mean, like, you can write a play and uh, you can produce it yourself if nobody else exactly. will do it. Exactly. Uh, if you want to do a film... To do it justice, it's extremely expensive. It's extremely expensive. And so you have to get somebody else to help you. And the amount you. of people involved yeah. in getting a film made. I mean, I work on student films all the time. And the amount of people that you need for a student yeah. film, it's, 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 um, it's quite the task. It's quite the task. And uh, I feel as if plays are more in my wheelhouse just because, you know, there's just low yeah. overhead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Like almost none. Almost none. Exactly. And they can happen in your living room. Mm -hmm. Well, it's been great talking to you. We should probably start to wrap it up here. And you're, so you're going to be in a play and it's called, the birthday, it's called the birthday Lottery. And it's going to be at Z Space. Z Space. In yes. March. In March, the last It's week not on any March. website or anything yet. Not yet. Yeah. I have a feeling, uh, considering the play, uh, the playwright's deep involvement with mm -hmm. it, he's very keen on PR. So okay. you will probably see it in a Facebook post near you quite soon. <laughs> okay. All right. Great. So Z space, the birthday lottery. It's a Vietnam about Vietnam vets. And it's in uh, the last weekend in March, last weekend, last March. weekend in March, Z space mm -hmm. in the big theater at Z space, which is in San Francisco. Well, wasn't that fun? Emily is a real trooper. Boy, I spent about an hour trying to set up my system there, <laughs> my remote system. She was very patient. That was Emily Corbeau, and I hope you enjoyed that interview, and I hope you all have a wonderful Christmas. You can go to my website, raisegreenroom.com, to hear all of my past episodes. You can go to rayrenati.com to learn more about me. Or if you want to leave me a, an email, just go to my website, rayrenati.com. Just go down to the bottom there, and there's a little form. You can send me an email. I'll answer it. And if you get a chance, go onto iTunes and rate the podcast. Give it an honest rating and some comments if you want. It'll help this podcast get out into the world. I love doing it, and I love you all. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever it is that you celebrate. Even if it's Festivus, I'm all for it. And until next week, I will see you where? On the boards. Thank you, everybody.